So good to see you this Easter Sunday. And thank you for worshiping with us. So glad you're here. You may recognize the name uh, Eugene Peterson. Anybody recognize that name? Became famous for writing the Message Bible. Incredible author, pastor, somebody who deeply shaped my life throughout the years, my theology, my understanding as a pastor. Even as a young pastor, I remember reading his books and kind of helping shape my direction. And 2018, Eugene Peterson went under hospice care. He was experiencing heart failure. He was 85 years old. Uh, There's recently a biography that came out about his life, kind of detailing his last days, and the doctors realize what's gonna happen, and his son Eric goes in to see his dad, Eugene, and, and looks at him, and he says, Dad, they, they've told us that you, you now have days or weeks to live, no longer months or years. And he said, Dad, how do you feel about that? And if you've read any Eugene Peterson, you, you know that this is a typical answer for him. He looks and he says, well, I feel pretty good about it. It said in the last few moments of Eugene's life, the last thing that he was able to audibly say to his family were simply the words, let's go. Come on now, who wants to say that at the end? Eugene Peterson's funeral was open to the public and you can imagine how many people showed up that day to celebrate such a great man, but then the graveside service was just a small group of family and uh, close friends. And his son Eric got in front of the family and he said, I just wanna, I wanna give a quote today from my father and that's how I wanna start this Easter Sunday with you, a quote from Eugene Peterson that was read at his funeral. It says this. It says, resurrection does not have to do exclusively with what happens after we are buried or cremated. It does have to do with that, but first of all, it has to do with the way we live right now. But as Karl Barth reminds us, only where graves are is there resurrection. We practice our death by giving up our will to live on our own terms. Only in that relinquishment or renunciation are we able to practice resurrection. I love that line and phrase, only where graves are is there resurrection. Weeks ago on Ash Wednesday, we started this journey of Lent together, journeying to the cross, and how many know it's a journey of death? Lent is difficult, it's a season of prayer and fasting where we examine our hearts, where we die to our flesh, where we've been in this season of just what does it mean to surrender our will to the Father? In Matthew 28 is the moments after Jesus' death and scripture tells us that they took Jesus' body off of the cross and they wrapped it in linen and uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are so worried that somebody is gonna steal his body and claim resurrection that they get these guards and they put the guards up in front of the tomb of Jesus. The women surrounding Jesus, the disciples, everybody is now discouraged because Jesus is dead. This, this couldn't have been a part of the plan. Let's pick up the story in Matthew 28 starting in verse one says this. After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. 
They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see, there they will see me. You have these female disciples going to the tomb, more than likely to embalm the body, to repair the body for the burial. To their surprise, they don't find a body. They find an empty tomb. Scripture tells us there's this significant earthquake. It was so significant that the earthquake and the angelic being caused the Roman guards to pass out cold. How many know that's probably pretty intense? It says the women are also afraid but also filled with joy because they realize what's happening. And the angel and Jesus both tell them the same thing. Go to Galilee. That may seem insignificant for you this morning. It's just a geographical location, but let me tell you, it's way more than a geographical location. Galilee is where it's all started. Galilee is where the dream was birthed. It's Galilee's where the disciples' hearts burned when they saw Jesus teaching and the miracles, and he talked about the kingdom of God, and it's where they built an anticipation and excitement to follow Jesus no matter where Jesus was going to go. So you can imagine when Jesus died, so did their hopes and dreams. But how many know a resurrected Jesus changes everything? Everything changes. Everything hinges on this. See, Holy Week, we've been in this Holy Week. If you were here last Sunday, it was Palm Sunday. Holy Week is a pattern for our lives. You're going to play out Holy Week time and time again. Last week was excitement, anticipation, and hope of Palm Sunday. And then two days ago on Good Friday, we were at Camp Lockridge and it was a time of solemn sitting in silence, sitting at the foot of the cross. Good Friday is, is death, it's suffering, it's disappointment. On Friday night, we walked out of that service in silence as we just took in the gravity of, a, of, of Jesus who would die for us. Saturday, the day in between of Holy Week is, is full of doubts and disillusionment unmet expectations. What just happened? Why did it happen this way? God, where are you? How could you be working in all of this because it just doesn't seem right? This wasn't a part of my plan. And then we experience Sundays, amen? Resurrection and joy and hope. One of the greatest misconceptions of human life is that our life is going to be like an A, right? It's kind of up and to the right. It's this curve where things are gonna go gray then we know they kind of dip. But actually, scripture tells us our life is more like a U, it is descent, it is going down, it is crucifixion before it becomes resurrection, amen? And that's what our life will be made of. How many know there are good and bad moments of your life? There are ups and downs. You're, you're gonna go through all of that. I've told this story before, but years ago, Lindsay and I had just started dating and I had commitment issues. Anybody else in the room, any other men, you have commitment issues? Nope, just your pastor, cool, all right, it's good. <laughs> We were dating and I broke it off. She was ready to get married and I was like, I'm not sure if I'm there yet and I broke it off. And how many know when you're on the same church staff together and you have the same friends and you grew up together, that's difficult. And people scowled at me when I came in the office the next day. And then we had a group of friends and we went on this road trip together and we were all going to Colorado. The guys were going to Moab, Utah. We were gonna ride mountain bikes because we had been riding for like six months, so we were pros. We were gonna go ride some of the best trails ever. And so some of you know this story, but it was everything that could go wrong went wrong. I'd borrowed my mom's SUV and we get in a hailstorm in Hayes, Kansas. Everybody been out there in the middle of nowhere? Like golf ball size hail, like 70 mile an hour winds. The semi in front of us blows over. We are holding pillows onto the windows because like, we think the windows are gonna shatter. 
And I get out of the car and it was like, my mom's new car is totaled, right? Thank you, mom, for letting me borrow your car. Right, we are driving out of Colorado. We're going on the way home. We get caught in a high-speed chase. We didn't know we were in a high-speed chase. They had blocked off the, the highway. We're driving down the road. There's a guy coming up behind us. We didn't know this, 130 miles an hour. We are the only car left on the interstate other than them. I told him about my flights two weeks ago. Some of you are never gonna travel with me. We turn the corner of the interstate and there's highway patrolmen in the road. I'm driving, going 70 miles an hour. There's stop sticks in the road, but I have nowhere to go. It blows all four of our tires. We stop on the side of the road. This highway patrolman comes up and he's like, man, we weren't going for you, but I got you. He's <laughs> like, we were going for that car behind you, but I couldn't get you off the interstate in time. And I'm like, I've never heard that happening to anybody. <laughs> and we're riding on the tow truck in the car, me and my buddy Brett, <laughs> down the mountains. They're riding in the tow truck, right? I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I was like, here's your car, mom, thanks. <laughs> you know, appreciate that. So you'd be like, that's the worst trip ever. No, it actually was a great trip, because this is life. Because I had broken up with Lindsay, but that night before, like, we were all staying in the same cabin and the Holy Spirit was working on my heart. And I remember like 11.30 at night, like I tipped over her cabin and I knock on the door and she comes, she comes to the door and, and I'm like, can I talk to you? She's like, sure, at 11.30 midnight, what do you wanna talk about? It's like, I, I swear if you give me one more chance, I'll, I'll spend the rest of my life proving it to you. Right, it's like out of a movie, right? <laughs> Except her response is to be like, yes, yes, let's, you know, but she didn't. She looked at me and she goes, <sighs> just let out a deep breath. And I'm like, this could go either way right now. I have no idea. So we just celebrated our 15th anniversary. I'm still proving it to you, babe. Thank you. Come on now. Yes, my mom's car was totaled. Yes, we were on a tow truck driving out of the mountains, but how many know life was good, right? Ups and downs, the highs and lows. You're gonna experience the Palm Sundays, the Good Fridays, the Saturdays, the Sundays, all a part of life, amen? The many crucifixions, the deaths that you're gonna to go to, you're gonna be betrayed, you're gonna go through hurt and loss, doubt and confusion. There's gonna be times where your faith, you believed one thing about God, but then all of a sudden you're like, man, I don't know if I believe that after all. Health struggles you didn't see coming, addictions, brokenness. Here's what I believe though, every time we experience death, we can stay in the grave or we can experience resurrection in an empty tomb, amen? We have the choice because of what Jesus has done. We get the choice. I heard a wise man once say this, may we leave behind us a string of empty tombs. And I don't know about you, but I want my life to be a string of empty tombs. Because every time we walk through difficulty and death, we have the option of staying there. This can define me, I can get stuck in this tomb, I can think that this is my end, I can put my hope in these things, or I can leave behind me a string of empty tombs. So the question becomes on this Easter Sunday, what will you and I believe about the resurrection? What do we believe about it? Every person Jesus encountered after the resurrection had to come face to face with a new reality. No, I saw Jesus on the cross. I saw his body. It was without breath. He was as dead as any dead man has ever died. I saw it, but now I see him in front of me. What do I do with that knowledge? What do I do with that information? Do I believe that he is now not just Messiah, but the son of God that has come to redeem the world? 
The two questions we have to ask, number one is this, do I believe in the resurrection of Christ from the dead and his victory over sin and death? Do I believe that? Do I believe it enough to shape my reality and my future? The second thing is this, will I live in the power of the resurrected Christ? How many know we have a lot of followers of Jesus that say, I believe it, but are you living in it? Does it change your reality? Does it change how you believe, how you live, where you go, how you think, your future? Romans chapter eight, I wanna read one more passage to you this morning. It's a little bit complex in the way Paul writes it, but I want you to get the beauty of this picture that Paul is painting of the future and eternity. It says this in verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it, say it with me, we wait for it patiently. And here we are, right? Waiting for it patiently. I want you to get this visual image that Paul gives. It's like creation is on its tiptoes. Creation is leaning in. It's waiting. It's eagerly anticipating for God to make everything right. How many know sin and death screwed everything up? And it's like the sun, the moon, the stars, the sea, the sky, the birds, the animals. Everything is on its tiptoes waiting for God to come and resurrect and make things right. It's like creation has been locked up in slavery and now it's waiting to be set free. And Paul is pointing to the horizon. He's pointing to the future and he says, but don't, don't miss this part. He's saying, it's so good and it's so beautiful and it's so amazing, it's worth waiting on. You are gonna be resurrected just like the resurrected Jesus is no longer the subject to weakness and humiliation and sickness and death. You will have a resurrected body, amen? Anybody looking forward to that? I don't know if we get to custom order our resurrected bodies. I would love to add about 15 pounds of muscle. Anybody else like you want a custom order? And I have this receding hairline thing going. It's a peninsula about to turn into an island and I would love for it to come back down. Resurrected bodies sound amazing. I'm gluten free, I would love to eat bread again. Come on now. 37 years old, all of a sudden I can't eat bread. You know, Come on, I need a resurrected body. What does Romans 8 tell us? You and I, just like of all creation, we're we're groaning in anticipation. But we're waiting for what we can't yet see and what we don't yet have. How many know that's called faith? And Paul says, that's our future salvation. That's what we're waiting on. One day, our salvation will happen. And instead, until then, we just lean in and we wait eagerly, anticipating for God to redeem all things. Does the resurrection change my reality? Does it change my reality? I was 22 years old. I was about to graduate with an undergrad degree in biblical studies. I had just gotten my first full-time position as a college young adult pastor at a church in Oklahoma City. I was about to start a master's in theology. 
I had a group of friends that were going on a missions trip to New York City. Uh, they came to me, they were like, we don't have enough people to go, it's a week long, would you please come with us? And it was a team just full of females and they were like, we need some guys to come with us as well. So being, me and my buddy Todd, like reluctantly, we were like, fine. It's a week, we can do it, let's go. We worked with the New York School of Urban Ministry and every day we would be in a different borough just doing, we were in a public school or a soup kitchen, different things, and it was really fantastic ministry. And, but I'll never forget one day. We were in Manhattan at Cook Hospital and we were on a floor that was full of just stroke victims. And we were gonna just talk to people and have conversations, but also do a little church service for them that day. And they began to roll in beds and wheelchairs full of stroke victims, many of them who could no longer speak. And when we started worship, the people in the room, about 40, 50 stroke victims, just started making whatever noise they could. It was actually one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my entire life. It was also very intimidating. And the girl sitting next to me who is about to go up and preach a message, she looks over at me and she says, I can't do this. <laughs> she knew I was about to be a pastor and she was like, you're gonna be a pastor, right? You do it. <laughs> Appreciate that two minutes before this is about to start. If you know anything about me, I'm not a last second kind of guy. I like to be prepared for everything. I didn't have a message prepared. Most of these people in the room were just waiting out the final moments of their life. And I remember just getting up there, not knowing what to preach on, and turning my Bible to 1 Corinthians 15 because I knew Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talked about resurrection. And I remember looking out in the crowd and I just told him, I said, hey, Death, where is your sting, right? Through the cross and the work of Jesus, we're gonna have resurrected bodies. We get to experience newness of life. I ended that message and a gentleman came up to me and he could still kind of verbalize, his name was Ray. And Ray asked me, he said, would you come back to my room and sit with me and just talk with me for a while? And then I went to Ray's room that day and let me tell you what happened for the next hour Ray wept and talked about his relationship with Jesus. I still get teary-eyed thinking about Ray because he just talked about how Jesus would come and sit with him in his room. He said, I spend 23 hours a day alone sitting here in this bed. I know I'm about to die. I realize any time my heart could stop beating, he goes, but Jesus just comes and sits with me. And he said, I can't wait to be home. And I can't wait when all of this is gone and finally I get to be home with my Jesus. And let me tell you, Ray preached the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life that day. To this day, this was before like cell phones and iPhones where I would have snapped a picture with Ray because I still remember him. And I know Ray is home right now and I know he's with Jesus and he's experiencing something better. So let me ask you this one more time. Does the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually change my reality? Does it change Ray's reality in that moment? I believe it does. I believe it's not something we just believe, but it's something that changes our life, our future, our hope. This is Romans 8. The invitation for us to live within this horizon of God's new creation. So that's why we keep moving forward. That's why we have hope. That's no, no matter how bad life gets and you're gonna go through valleys and deaths, how many know you have hope? Amen? I believe that what is before me is so good and wonderful and beautiful and true that the present realities and difficulties are worth enduring for the future hope 
of the future. I wanna end this message this morning. If you would, just stand to your feet with me right where you're at. I don't usually share these things publicly, but Wednesday morning, I was sitting in this room all alone, right there, front row, second seat. And I was reflecting on Romans 8, this passage. And I connect with God through writing and I journal and I just write down and I pray through writing. And so I just begin to write this down and I wanna just read this reflection. Does an empty tomb change our reality? Does an empty tomb change our reality? To the mom in Syria mourning the death of her four-year-old son, to the 19-year-old girl in St. Petersburg working the streets just to survive, to the couple living in a suburb of Chicago who just discovered they are unable to have children, to the hungry eight-year-old boy in Congo running through traffic trying to sell whatever he could find. Does an empty tomb change his reality? To the 78-year-old man in Japan waiting out his days after a report of terminal cancer, to the young man in the bustling streets of Mumbai whose mother passed away last night, to the mentally diseased woman who sits in a Los, on a Los Angeles street corner asking for money. What does an empty tomb mean for them? Does it change their reality? Does it speak to their time and place? Does it redeem their brokenness, their life, their situation? All of creation looks up and turns its head in eager anticipation. Creation is on its tiptoes, waiting, leaning in. All of creation, the entire cosmos, longing for redemption. Does my life matter? Does my suffering have meaning? Does anyone see me? Will anyone remember me? We wait, we groan. We hope, all of us, all of creation, everywhere. Father, make it right, make it new. How many know the resurrection of Jesus changes everything, everything. It changes your current situation. It changes your reality. It changes your present, it changes your struggle, it changes your future. If you walked into this room today and you feel like, I don't know if I have anything to live for or any hope, let me tell you, you have everything to live for because this is not it, amen? This is not it. No, he has prepared such a beautiful place for you that is on the horizon. And guess what? We have to live this out by faith until we get there. And faith is hard. Faith is hard. But the Holy Spirit wants to empower you this morning to have faith until we are resurrected with him in eternity. If you would just bow your heads, close your eyes right where you're at with me. We always at City Church want to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in our lives. You're like, I don't know if the Holy Spirit is at work in my life. He is. Always drawing you, reminding you of the love of God. Today, if you wanna enter into that reality and that kingdom of God, all you have to do is repent. Repent is turning from your ways and turning towards Jesus. You can do that right where you're at. You repent and you believe in Jesus. And he welcomes you into his kingdom. He says, all of life and all of eternity is before you. 
So Father, I thank you right now for those who are going from death to life. We thank you that the grave is empty. The tomb is empty and our reality changes. Our reality changes. Every person on this planet, reality changes because the grave is empty. We call on you, Jesus. We thank you for someone who walked in today suffering, going through the valley of the shadow of death, wondering what life is about. You are speaking today that I have a plan for you. I love you. I know you. Hold on. Don't let go. Stay close to me. Stay close to me. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you on this Resurrection Sunday that the grave is empty, that we are alive in Christ, that all things are new in you, that nothing is as they seem, Father, that everything will be better than we could ever hope or imagine. And as the people of God, we, we stand in that reality, in that hope. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.